Hey guys, thanks for joining our third edition of ETP Building Blocks. Today, I'm excited we're talking about rest and recovery and basically how too little of either can mess with your goals. So if you've been part of this broadcast before, you'll recognize these first couple of slides, but I do think it's important we have a huge audience that listens um, after the fact. And then just for you guys, if you have any new people on today, um, first of all, so who are we? I'm Susie Glassman. I am a coach with Eat to Perform. I'm also a mom of two and a CrossFitter. I do strength training. I do gymnastics. I love to mix it up. And my favorite thing about coaching, I think, is, is just helping people put together those final pieces that um, improve their overall quality of life. So um, we've also got Ed. So Ed, tell us about yourself. Hey guys, I'm Coach Ed, and I've been a Eat to Perform coach since last year. I have a bachelor's degree in exercise science, and I enjoy bodybuilding, but I also enjoy doing CrossFit, running, hiking, just anything that'll keep me active. And that's just a small, brief summary about myself. <laughs> Great, and we've got Amber. Hey guys, Amber here. I have three girls. I know it's pretty crazy at my house. Three girls. I own a CrossFit affiliate and I love doing everything. Just being outside, riding bikes, doing CrossFit, just hanging out, being with people. Susie? Awesome. And then last but not least, the man who needs very little introduction. Um, we have Paul Nobles with us today. It's so funny because I feel like in our world, I'm kind of a big deal. But, you know, in, in literally no other world, including my own family. Um, but the uh, I was I'm really excited. You know, I, I founded E to perform. I'm the owner. Um, we've been, uh, you know, in business for for five years. It's sort of funny because we didn't really I, I didn't start this as a business. You know, I just started this as, hey, guys, you know, this is what I'm finding out. And uh, part of that was just the process of hiring all these other really smart people um, that could bring you information and then I could steal their information and then give it back to you. <laughs> and so um, I'm really excited about this one because sleep and recovery is something that's really important in my life, something that I've struggled with since I was, was very small. Um, I do remember having a very active mind as an eight-year-old boy just sitting there while all my brothers and sisters are asleep and uh, just couldn't figure out how to calm my mind down. And so we're going to talk about some, some ideas related to that. So Susie, back to you. Um, perfect. Okay. So on the next slide, we're going to, what I mean by your turn is going to ask you guys to give us some feedback on how your week went and, and some accomplishments. And then we are going to go over the topic of the week and then we'll offer some tips or suggestions or maybe we can all kind of brainstorm ways to improve our rest and recovery. And then we will open it up for a Q&A. So definitely stick around. But if you get to the question and answer portion and you have to pop off, that's totally fine, too. Like I said, these are recorded, so you can always come back and listen to that. So here's when we talk about what's new with you. Um, you'll have to type your responses in the question box. And unfortunately, just as a, a housekeeping issue, you won't be able to see what other people are typing, but we will read them off. And again, you know, you can, um, if there's something somebody asks and you want to follow up on it, there is the event group in Facebook. And so you can always follow up with us there. 
So we usually start this by having each of us kind of go over our own accomplishments while you're typing. It just gives us time to, um, you know, have some feedback from you guys. But I would say my achievement this week is basically I spent four nights in a hotel room with an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and my snoring husband, and I survived. So I was actually went to bed about 8.15 last night, and I feel much better. So how about you guys? Ed, Amber, you guys got anything? So, yeah, I just have been getting seven plus hours of sleep per night, and that's huge for me because that's sometimes uh, very difficult to do for me. So I guess that would be my accomplishment. Amber? So mine, I've been putting my phone on airplane mode. So I get a million texts and emails and Facebook messages and a million different things. And so I sleep with my phone by my bedside for my alarm. And so it's constantly buzzing. You know, it drives my husband bananas. So I put it on airplane mode. So those messages, I can check them when I get up first thing in the morning, but it doesn't distract me from falling asleep. Cool. All right, Paul, what you got? In terms of um, sleep, I've been getting good sleep. Like Ed was saying, I feel like my body's starting to adjust to the daylight savings time. That was That's always a little bit of a struggle for me. Um, but I've been running. Uh, I've got this little three-mile track, and, uh, you know, I was talking to my daughter about this because she was talking about how her exercise is a little low. And um, I just explained to her that, you know, when when I started running and I think I've, I've only had like seven to 10 sessions at this point. I mean, it's it, day by day here in Minnesota, whether or not it's snowy or not. But uh, on the days that I can run, you know, um, I've just gradually started to extend you know, the time before I walk, right? And so I, I've gotten that, uh, you know, I was able to, to run right at about a mile before I started my, my walking. And so um, I am working towards running the full three mile thing. I'm pretty sure that'll come relatively quick. I was talking to Brad about this actually, that one of the big advantages to knowing, you know, what your body is capable of is you push yourself further. I think that a lot of people new to fitness don't know what they're capable of, right? And so because I know what I'm capable of, I know, okay, I got to push it a little farther. So pretty happy about that one. Awesome. All right, now I'm going to turn it over to Amber. And we have a few comments, but you guys are going to want to make sure you are um, jumping in there because she's got a cool prize. And take it away, Amber. So a couple things that people have been doing that are really awesome. One, Andrea says that she has actually been resting when she's sick. That's something that a lot of people tend to do is they try to push through. And when you're not 100% and you try to go to the gym, that creates a problem. Your body's really stressed and now you're creating even more stress and could delay you getting healthy. So awesome job, Andrea. She's also read three novels in the past 10 days. That actually sounds fantastic. I can't yeah. tell you the last time I read a book, or but I listened to some audiobooks. Anyway, so that's pretty cool. Um, let's see. Tony survived fat loss day one and didn't yell at anybody. <laughs> I hope you survive the other 23 days and don't yell at anybody as well. Oh, 
Let's see. Lynn says she's been a night owl her entire life. I can't tell I tell you, I am not a night owl. I'm a morning person, but like nine o'clock, I gotta shut it down. But she's been a night owl and been been working on readjusting her internal clock um for the past two weeks and has been able to stick with it so that she's going to bed a little bit earlier. Good for you. That's gonna be awesome. Last one, Brad. <laughs> Oh, Brad, you make me laugh. Brad survived um, getting his taxes done. <laughs> that can play some, that can take some sleep away. I totally get it. The stress of worrying about that. I hear you, Brad. Thanks for commenting, guys. Keep those coming in as we continue through this because there's a really neat prize at the end. So I'd love to hear about some more accomplishments. You'll put those in that box. Susie? Awesome, Amber. All right, so let's get into our topic. Um, just real quick, I'm gonna cover why both rest and recovery matter, and then I'm going to, um, later on in the presentation, we'll, we'll get into the difference between rest and recovery, uh, how they're the same and how they're similar. But basically, we're talking mental health, your immune system, disease prevention, quality of life, um, in addition to what we're all here for, some muscle gains and fat loss and your metabolism and hormone regulation. So I am going to turn it over to Paul to give us an idea of how to improve your sleep and um, take it away. Okay, so uh, I kind of jokingly said to Susie when we were setting this up, uh, you know, one time my dad said to me that he's better at marriage than I am. And I've been married for over 20 years to the same woman that I met when I was 18. And he's been married six times. Um, and so this is sort of my version of that, right? I've struggled with sleep my whole life. And so take these with a grain of salt. These are things that I think if you you really have to look at as progress rather than perfection. So in some ways I do think that I am a bit of an authority, but uh, you might wanna also find your own truth, right? So uh, in terms of sleep aids, the only real sleep aid that I use now is ZMA. Um, I have used things like uh, Progenix has the um, cocoon, uh, which has like a little L-tryptophan in there, and uh, it's a casein protein. So you get some recovery and you get some muscle building while you're sleeping. Uh, you know, some people, you know, don't love the taste of that, uh, but you can't buy L-tryptophan over the counter, so that, that ends up being a plus. Uh, the big thing that I do use the good majority of the time is ZMA. That came up in last week's discussion with Lisa, um, and I just wanted to further a little bit more on that. If you are prone to night terrors or things like that, you know, sleeping deeper, which is kind of what ZMA causes, um, most EMA is real simple. It's magnesium and zinc, you know, so it, it's a de-stressor. Um, but then there is, you know, like the, the brand that I use is the one from GNC. So it has a little L-tryptophan in there. So you, um, you know, you end up sleeping a little bit deeper as a result. I do cycle off of all of this stuff, right? So currently I'm on an off cycle. So I have not 
um, used it in probably, you know, a month, which basically means that I ran out and did not buy more. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, if I start to, and I've, I've been in a real good cycle, so there's really no reason to buy more. So I do recommend cycling off. Um, in terms of melatonin, so it's interesting, uh, when I was a poker player, and uh, especially when I first started to uh, deal with dieting in an extreme fashion, one of the things that I did was I would take these massive doses of melatonin, and I didn't really know much about it. And so when I went to the doctor and was like, hey, you know, I'm taking these five grams of melatonin and uh, I'm just like nappy all the time. And he's like, that's like an elephant dose. He's like, you're supposed, you know, that that's the that's the kind of dose that you take when you're trying to, you know, get recover from jet lag, right? And so that's really the 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 probably the best use for melatonin. But I would still argue that ZMA would be better than melatonin, even in that regard. And the problem with melatonin, the problem with really any supplement, is that the more that you use it, especially if it's something that your body produces naturally, your body doesn't need to produce it anymore. You know, so it kind of ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I stay away from melatonin for that reason. Um, I'm not saying to you don't stay stay away from melatonin, but do a great deal of research on it, right? And it's it's one of these things that you your body will adjust to it, and so you need more and more and more as you go, and uh, the other thing, too, with both ZMA and melatonin is that because you end up sleeping a little bit deeper, you don't end up sleeping as long. And so that will end up kind of affecting things. So when I was taking like the five milligrams, I'd wake up like four hours later, you know, just wide awake, you know, because you, you sleep so deeply and... Uh, you know, it does kind of interfere with things that way. So kind of keep that in mind with melatonin. Do your research related to dosage. Um, to be honest with you, when I when I did use it, um, you know, after that, uh, you know, talking to my doctor and not using the elephant dosage, you know, he kind of talked me into using just a half and I had a kind of a pill cutter for a one milligram. And that worked, you know, uh, but but like I said, Ultimately, I think melatonin is something you should probably avoid and only really use it in moments like, you know, daylight savings time, jet lag, things of that nature. Um, one of the best things that I've ever done for myself is a regular bedtime. I go to bed at 930 pretty religiously. Um, I schedule my life around the bedtime because my body needs that routine, you know, and you might not need to be that way. My wife's not that way, actually. She can get away with sleeping a little bit more on some days and sleeping a little bit less on some, some days, and she's fine. That is not my reality, you know. Um, and the thing that happens for me when I go to bed at 930 is I don't view it as bedtime. I just view it as relaxing time. And so I listen to a podcast, and, you know, I'm – basically in my bed, you know, under like my really soft covers. And, uh, you know, when I think about my relaxing time, I always think, how can I do more? 
you know, and I've talked about weighted blankets in the carb life group. That's probably going to be an addition. My, my daughter stole my thunder there. She is actually really liking her, um, weighted blanket. She refers to it as her human thunder shirt. So, um, so I definitely want to get a human thunder shirt, but they're, they're not cheap, you know, especially not for a good one. So keep that in mind, but the regular bedtime is something really super important. So, so important actually that I'm going to be traveling here in the next couple of days. And we've sort of scheduled, you know, the stopping time related to my bedtime. And I'll get into that here in just a second. Uh, the other thing is wind down a little bit earlier, you know, uh, Susie, you know, is going to bring up some things related to slides and 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 blue screen and and all these different types of things, but I think when you look at it realistically, you know, television, all the things I, I used to joke all the time that you know, uh, my priority in life was watching John Stewart rather than getting getting sleep, you know, and you know, there's some truth to that, you know, and when you look at your overall mental health when you look at your recovery related to workouts and things of that nature you have to make it a priority and then there's going to be a lot of people that that listen to this and go i can't make it a priority i i you know i don't know what to say to that <laughs> you know i mean I, I run a pretty big company right um and and i have two kids and i have a wife and i have responsibilities and I make it a priority in my life. And so, you know, it's like any other thing, meal prep, all these things, you know, if it's important to you, you do it. And the reason why I'm on this call with you right now is because sleep is very possibly the most important thing as it relates to your mental health, your physical health, and eat perform in general. You're going to really struggle getting fat loss, getting three hours of sleep a night. Right. And so there's a lot of people that are like, I just cannot sleep that much. Well, just realize that you're sacrificing much more than you might think. Um, and so uh, one of the things that I've had to learn to do is not to obsess about sleep. And a great example, <laughs> this is actually sort of funny. Um, a great example was last night. You know, so. My sleep has been phenomenal, and I'm going into this discussion where I'm going to talk to people about sleep, and I want to brag to you guys, man, I've been getting such great sleep, and my recovery is great. Um, and last night at 4.30 in the morning, my dog just had surgery, and um, she's got a comb. And so she's kind of struggling because she can't sleep. So at 4.30 in the morning, my dog walks over to me and starts licking me on the face. You know, now normally this would not be a problem, right? Kira lay down and then I would just get back to sleep. Um, but, you know, last night, you know, my mind started going and I was actually awake. And sometimes, especially when sleep accumulates over time and you're getting consistent eight hours and you wake up at six and a half, that might be fine for that day. Right. So don't obsess over getting eight hours every single day, because I've definitely been a victim to that. I think one of the worst things that you can do with all these devices like Fitbits and whoops and stuff like that is to use that information acutely and try to be a perfectionist as it relates to that. And one of the things that I've, I've found 
and I think most of you guys probably have found this too, is that on the days where I don't get enough sleep, the very next day I get more sleep or I sleep a little bit deeper, right? So obsessing over any one given day, um, one of the things that I don't think that I mentioned that I should probably bring up is napping, right? I'm not a big believer in napping. Um, sometimes it just happens. I'm almost 50 years old. I lay on the couch and if I watch golf, I'm going to fall asleep, you know? Um, so, you know, I don't try to obsess about that, but I do find that if I nap through the day, it does affect my sleep later on. Not always, you know, and if I do get short sleep, you know, I will often try to gut it out a little bit more, but to say that I never nap would be a total lie. You know, um, if I'm if I'm lying down for too long, I will catnap sometimes. And the majority of the time, it, it's really not a problem. But uh, be be conscious that, you know, nap is taking the place of actual sleep. Um, so HRV is um, something you know, heart rate variability. We talk about it a lot. You know, resting heart rate is within the Eat Perform app for that reason. Um, it's an indicator of stress. And so, yeah, I don't know if I can pull it up or not um, and, and just show you guys, but I'm, I'm trying to pull up the data for my WHOOP and it shows me as green, right? Even though I only got six hours and 30 minutes sleep. And there's a lot of people that show up as green with a 95 and they got three hours sleep and they're like what's going on with you whoop i feel horrible hrv is reacting to your previous day it's not reacting to your current situation right and so what ends up happening is your heart rate might be fine from the previous day and then when you have three hours worth of sleep and you're up for 21 hours your body's gonna be stressed, heart rate's gonna be up, and then that's when your HRV is doing it, and that's when you see reds and zeros and all the negative things that, that you know, I wish there was like a consistent HRV model, but everybody seems to kind of do something a little bit different. And so you have to be conscious of that when you're looking at HRV, but don't, you know, similar to Fitbits, things of this nature, don't really look at these as, kind of you know per perfection right just look at it as information you know it's similar to the scale right people get so obsessed with the scale scale's just a data point fitbit's just a data point whoops just a data point so keep that in mind um the other thing and uh this gets to be a little bit difficult discussion uh because i've i asked for help with my family and I let them know that this has to be a priority in my life. And unfortunately, you have to change your life, too. And that gets inconvenient because then, you know, if my daughters want to go skating on Friday nights, you know, my wife can't have wine on date night if we do date night on Friday nights. So we had to move date night to Saturday night, right? Because that's the priority in my life. And I think if you say to your family and you explain to them why this needs to be important for you, then you're going to get a little bit more buy-in, but you're not going to get all, a whole lot of buy-in, right? 
because if someone doesn't have problems with sleeping, they're not going to understand your situation because it doesn't happen to them. You know, so you're going to have to be an advocate for your thing. And you're going to sometimes have to dig your heels in and say, this is who I am. And this is needs to be a priority in my life. And I'm sorry if you don't understand, but you know, this is just the way it's got to be. I will say 95% of the time, my wife has no problem. But then, you know, when we're traveling, as an example, you know, she's like, is it going to be okay if we go to 11? And, you know, sometimes I give in. And then for the next week, my sleep gets messed up as a result, right? So I'm not saying I don't always give in. And I'm not saying that that you should be really rigid in your life and you should do it that way. But I am saying to you that my body likes the routine. And when I break that routine, then there is potential repercussions. Doesn't mean it happens every single time, but you know, I do find that the more routine my life is, the better. Did you also want to touch on how dieting constantly can affect your sleep? Yeah, so that that's that was why I was choking the elephant dosage of melatonin, right? Because uh, when you undereat, and actually a little bit of what happened yesterday. So so uh, yesterday was my low day, right? And so when Kira looked me in the face at four thirty in the morning. And my brain starts going, part of it is because when you eat less, you, you know, at least for me, it does affect my sleep. Now, like I said, you know, this is a little bit correlation, right? Don't take this as the gospel. This isn't science and you can research it all you want and stuff like this. But I don't think when you're eating all that much that your body needs as much sleep sometimes, right? Sometimes it, it shows up as dysfunction. I think today I'll be fine, right? You know, but but I will say that, and and you guys should know this going into the the low days, you know, especially when you're trying to be, especially like in a fat loss phase, that it's going to affect your sleep, you know, and sometimes you're going to do that because that's the bigger priority in your life. For me to go from eight hours sleep to six and a half hours sleep, not that big a deal, right? But if you're, you know, constantly getting three and four hours of sleep, I mean, the first thing I'd be looking at is how many calories are you eating? You know, because if you're out there, you're not an eat performer and you're eating 800 calories, and you can't figure out why you can't sleep. Ding, 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 right? It's probably food, you know, and that would be the first thing I would look at. But the problem is, is that people don't look at it because they like scared shitless to eat. You know, um, so that that would be my thought there. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, you know, a couple other things we get questions on. I think some people wonder: Can you make up a sleep deficit? I, I think there's evidence that shows that you can, but I do think you're in a much better situation if you're going to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time each day. Um, but if you have had several days in a row where your sleep has been poor and you sleep in on a certain day, you know, there is some evidence that shows that that, that can be helpful. Um, but moving on. So 
you know, what happens when, when your sleep is low? And I know there are people who think, oh, I can get by on four to five hours of sleep at night. I have tons of energy. <laughs> I'm fine. But like, how much caffeine are you drinking, you know, just to get through the day? Or, you know, when you constantly sleep less, you just forget what it's like to be well rested. So I'm going to have Paul kind of go over this too. What, you know, what happens when your sleep isn't sufficient? So I was trying to get Susie's attention, but <laughs> he was on a roll. So I don't think she saw me. Um, in terms of sleep deficits, remember when you were a teenager, right? So you were constantly in a sleep deficit and then you would sleep for like 16 hours. You know, I have two teenagers in my house and they have like the worst sleeping habits. Now, you know, my oldest, you know, really struggles with sleep. But even with my youngest, when she's burning the candle at both ends and she's got a million different, you know, things going on, you know, her sleep really starts to, to suffer. And one day, no big deal. But then once it starts to accumulate over time, you know, now all of a sudden, you know, that becomes the new routine and your body is going to try and adjust. I mean, you know, I, I, I haven't really done a whole lot of research related to homeostasis and sleep. But in general, I would say that, you know, if you're constantly, you know, one day going to bed at 1 a.m., one day going to bed at 11 p.m., your body's trying to figure that out, right? Yeah. All right, so sleep from muscle gain and fat loss. So lack of sleep is going to cause reduced growth hormone production and protein synthesis. The, the big advantage, of course, is when you're, you're rested, you're doing your heavy deadlifts, a lot of things like that will stimulate growth hormone going to repress that if you're not sleeping well. Decreased glu glucose and insulin sensitivity. So insulin sensitivity is the opposite of insulin resistance, right? And so when you're struggling with sleep, you will, you know, develop a, a, a small bit of insulin resistance, not, not necessarily type 2 diabetes or anything like that, but over time, it can cause real dysfunction. So you have to keep that in mind. And that's one of the big reasons why you see people with CPAPs and, and things like that much more common than it used to be. Increased fat deposition, right? So, so your body's going to be looking at, at energy stores, you know, you're lacking energy because you're not fully recovered. And so, um, you know, the propensity to store fat is going to be much bigger. Um, reduce motivation for training. I think all of us can relate to this on days that you're not sleeping. That gets to be difficult to want to go to the gym. Um, I don't. I, you know, if, if I have a, a short night's sleep, like even today where I'm six and a half hours, um, I will still opt for, you know, not going to the gym just because, you know, I know that the good majority of the time I'm going to be good, okay. well rested and well recovered. Right. So I don't I don't believe in working out, um, you know, at 40 percent. I just I don't see a point in it. Um, Increased daytime cortisol levels. I think most people are, are, are very well aware of the role of cortisol that your fighter fight or flight hormone. Uh, it's also the hormone that wakes you up daily. When you're constantly sleep deprived, it, you know, cortisol just gets all kinds of wacky, you know. And when you're living on caffeine, you know, that's going to cause some, some increases in cortisol. It can also cause some increases in testosterone. So there's di different pluses and minuses with that kind of thing. 
But for me, you know, around, let's say, noon, you know, I stopped drinking caffeine as a result. And I think that that's something, you know, I, I did. I was listening to um, Howard Schultz, the, the Starbucks. And, you know, he suggested that the half-life of caffeine, because he goes to bed at 11, so he stops drinking at 5. Um, that, to me, would be a, a little later, right? <laughs> like, like, like if I started drinking caffeine at 5, um, I think I would run into problems. Yeah. As evidenced by the fact that I'm probably talking too much right now, so I've got, like, a caffeine thing going. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, you should have stopped drinking caffeine at 9 a.m., buddy. All right, <laughs> there we go. That's my piece okay. of the slide. Yeah, I'm going to take just a second to pause so we can uh, have a little break in the program. So I'm just going to pause it for uh, about three seconds or so. All right, cool. So next, I wanted to go over sleep and fat loss. I know, you know, whether we are in performance recomp or doing a fat loss cycle or looking for muscle gains, we're all looking to get leaner in some way, shape or form. So this study I thought was very interesting. It took 15 very healthy male subjects, average body fat around 21%. So, um, you know, basically these are your, your, your average males. Um, they were locked up in a metabolic chamber for two days. So the first night they just slept normally, right? Their sleep was measured by an EEG. On the second day, their sleep was fragmented. So by fragmented, what happened was once an hour, an alarm went off. And the subject, all they had to do was hit the button to turn the alarm off. So it's not like they had to get out of bed or they had to you know, fully awake answer questions, but it was just enough that they had to manually turn off that alarm and then go back to sleep. The important thing is that on both days, the subjects had the exact same amount of sleep. So here's what happened. Um, the fragmented sleep had a direct impairment of fat oxidation. So fat oxidation is a fancy way of saying fat burning, right? So they burned less fat while they were sleeping. So what does this mean? So if you extrapolated this data out a month, um, obviously this is a very oversimplified calorie burn model, that would amount to two pounds a month of fat gain while you're having the same total duration of sleep. I also want to give credit to um, Mike T. Nelson. He's the one who um, provided these slides for me. But what that means is we focus on quantity, but there's also a, a, a high um, price to pay for the quality of your sleep. So when you're looking at um, how many times are you interrupted in the middle of the night, and so you say, I sleep eight hours a night and I'm still not seeing fat loss. Well, are you, you know, constantly woken up by a toddler? Um, do you get up three or four nights to go, uh, three or four times to go to the bathroom? Um, do you sleep with a pet in the bed and that pet is waking you up several times during the night? These are all things to look at. So when Amber talks about putting her phone in airplane mode, so that is it waking her up in the night? That's a great idea. I sleep with an eye mask so that light doesn't wake me up during the night. I also sleep with a little bit of a sound machine. I think it just helps me ignore um, other sounds within the house. But those are definitely things to look at too. So now that I've promised um, recovery, I'm going to let Ed talk about how recovery is a little bit different from just rest. So go ahead, Ed. All right, guys. So let's learn about recovery. So, okay, so you're going to be recovering the best 
that's oh, important. That's... Your body's repairing itself. That's when your heart rate. We just sort of lost you there for Ed, Ed, just for a second. All right, I'm back. Could you guys hear me? I turned off my camera. There we go. Yep. All right, let's start this again. So, all right, recovery. So you're going to be recovering the best while you're sleeping because that's when your growth hormones are elevated. That's when testosterone levels are higher. All of those things happen while you're sleeping. So it's definitely going to help with fat burning and just helping your body heal from um, whatever stress is on the body. Um, you could also um, get recovery from doing something called active recovery. And a lot of people probably have heard of this. And this is pretty much just when you're doing LIST. LIST being low intensity steady state um, and the most popular form being uh, walking. So when you're walking, um, blood is circulating throughout the body more uh, efficiently and it's also going to be delivering a lot more blood to the muscle groups, which helps um, deliver oxygen and nutrients to the muscle groups. So also something very interesting about how um, for athletes for recovery is, as I mentioned earlier, I'm an, I was an exercise science student and one of the experiments we did was to have elite athletes at my school wear a heart rate monitor while they slept and we found that the elite athletes had their heart rates drop down very very low and that's just one of the benefits of cardiovascular health health and it helps really reduce the amount of stress that's on the body um, by keeping that heart rate lower so all right now scheduled breaks so all of our training templates are pretty much eight weeks long um, and you don't need to do a deload week during the training templates that we have, unless you're doing Dr. Brad's program, but he already has deload weeks built into the training templates. So if you're doing just an eight week training template, that's fine to keep going through the, the program without doing a deload week until after it's over. And the importance of a deload week is kind of to prevent you from plateauing. So, a deload week could be just taking a week off from the gym or lowering the amount of weight that you're used to lifting and the intensity of the, your training. So this is gonna really help with recovery and help prevent you from plateauing. So next is resting heart rate or RHR and stress. So when RHR is elevated or is trending upward a little bit, that's usually a good indicator that there's a stressor on the body. So uh, that could be due to a lack of recovery from training. That could be due to you not feeling well. Uh, it could be due to ovulation or you just being stressed out in general. So if, re if your RHR is elevated, it's probably a good idea to take a rest day. Uh, and it's also not uncommon for weight to actually be up a little bit because your body tends to hold on to water when your body is stressed out. So that's just something to keep in mind. Paul talked a little bit about how food for recovery um, and sleeping. So if you're eating adequately, you're probably getting enough sleep, which is gonna help with the recovery. But you get, it also helps with replenishing muscle glycogen. So when you're working out, your body starts to deplete the muscle glu glycogen. Um, and the glucose that's in the muscle. 
So by getting more food in and getting in more carbs, you're going to re be replacing that uh, muscle glycogen. And that comes into place uh, a lot more if you're doing two-a-days or if you're just training uh, pretty intensely. So uh, the more food you have, uh, the more quickly you'll recover and the more you can train. And these next two pieces, listening to your body and extending out your training template, I could kind of tie these in together where if you're not feeling well or you just feel beat down and you can't get to the gym, don't go. Just you should take a rest day. Paul mentioned he said, I don't really understand the concept that going to the gym at 40% and giving only 40% effort. It really doesn't make any sense because if I could take a rest day today and allow myself to train at 80% or 100% the following day, that's going to be much better. So going to the gym just to go to the gym and giving 40% effort and not really being effective in your training is just going to do more damage than good because you're just going to keep stressing your body out more and more. And it's probably just not a good idea. So I think I touched on everything that I wanted to, uh, Paul, what would you like to add? So I just wanted to say one thing because I think a lot of people, when they think about stress, because Ed mentioned stress, you know, um, I'm, I'm distracted a little bit because it, it, it's sort of funny. Ed brought up ovulation, you know, with each of a form, every man has to become comfortable talking about ovulation. So I think it's funny <laughs> hearing a 25 year old male giving <laughs> all the females advice on ovulation, <laughs> um, which is stressful, by the way. <laughs> but, but anyway, talking about stress, you know, exercise is stress. And, and when we're talking about exercise, what you're really trying to do is to adapt to that stress positively. So when you're exercising and you're tearing down muscles and, and things of this nature, trying to build up stronger muscles, the adaptation of stress is actually positive. So a lot of people look at stress and they see, you know, wow, these guys are talking about stress. It's all negative. It's not all negative, right? Like, you know, when we look at, when we put somebody through a fat loss cycle, as an example, it, it is stress. And ultimately you're trying to respond to that stress by, you know, fat oxidation, right? Right. Releasing fat as fuel. So there's always some positives to all these things and so recovery is really that place where we're adapting to that stress also and i thought that would be a good addition to what ed was saying take it away susie well i agree and i just want to because amber you run a crossfit gym and i'm sure that you see athletes of all kinds and what kind of advice do you give to them or to an athlete you see who might be overtraining or um, not seeing the progress that they want do you have something you want to add well, Gosh, Susie, it's everything that we're talking about, stepping back and looking at the big picture. What's the long game that we're shooting for here? So, you know, I often um, use analogies in talking to my athletes. And, and one of them that I use all the time is about a car. So if you go and buy a car and never service it, you never take care of it, that car is going to run for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, there's going to be some major things that go wrong with that car where if in the time that you own that car, you take care of it and you change the oil, you get new tires, you do all these little things to take care of your car, it's gonna run forever. It's gonna run forever. But if you don't, 
that you've got all these major issues that come up and some of them you can't you can't fix you just got to get you can't just go get a whole new car get or like a whole new body you're kind of stuck so when you think about it in that that aspect of doing these little things for the long game for long care helps athletes put in perspective taking the day off or going to bed early or doing all the things that we're talking about Susie so yeah yeah I couldn't agree more thank you Amber we are running a little bit long, so I think you know we can talk about some some tips and ideas. I do want to let you guys ask questions. So as we go through some tips, go ahead, start typing out your questions, and then you know we we'll, we are here. We can answer you know as many as come in. Um, but let's go ahead and get get the Q and A portion started, and then as far as um, you know, sharing some tips or things to improve your sleep. I think for for me, I have just really started trying to focus on that uninterrupted sleep. And I tend to drink a lot of water in the final hours before I go to bed. So I'm cutting that out. And hopefully over the next few days, I'll start to see that I have to get up fewer times in the night to use the bathroom. So um, Amber, you have, what do you, what do you suggest? I drink a, hot, a cup of hot tea before I go to bed. Uh, that helps me bring it down to neutral. I am in drive or overdrive all day from morning till night. Man, it's it's 900 miles. So I need to bring it down a notch in order to, like Paul said, you know, kind of have that settling time before I can doze off. So I'll have a hot cup of tea and sit and talk to my husband um, about our day and what do we have tomorrow and just connect for a few minutes. And that helps me bring it down to the yeah. Yeah, that's great. So, um, you know, Ed is the, the youngster in this group, so he can probably get away with burning the candle both ends a little bit more. But um, what do you have, Ed? What do you what can you suggest? I would just suggest trying to get into bed earlier at an earlier time. Like Paul said, just getting into bed earlier will help you relax. And it's just more likely that you'll fall asleep a little bit earlier. And that'll just improve the quantity of sleep and then then work on the other things like quality of sleep like Susie's trying to do um yeah. but I guess that would be my tip yeah and I did read that just increasing the amount of time that you're in bed I mean even if you're not asleep like Paul's in bed listening to a podcast or Amber's in bed you know just kind of going over a week with her husband like just the amount of time you spend in bed will automatically sort of increase the amount of time you spend asleep if that makes sense so um, I don't see any questions yet, Paul. Oh yeah, I do. Let's, let's let Paul, do you have a recommendation and then we'll go over questions. I mean, honestly, podcasts, you know, podcasts have changed my life. You know, the, um, I, I think the, the process of being able to focus on something else. And I will say like, you know, it, it doesn't always, it's not always relationship friendly, but if you, um, wake up in the middle of the night, and you're trying to turn your brain off, you know, I, a couple of the suggestions that I've seen, you know, I, I've had people say, you know, do notepads. I've tried that. It doesn't work great for me. But if I if I am struggling and I'm in my head a little bit, I can turn on a podcast. Now I'm focused on that. Sometimes that will turn my brain off. Right. So podcasts have made a really big difference in, in my life. Oh, yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, okay, so let's get to the questions. Amber, I'm going to let you find where the questions start and go ahead and read those off. 
Sure. Absolutely. So our first one that we've got, Justin asked, do you recommend sleeping longer or deeper? Ed, can you help me answer that? Yeah, I would, I would definitely say deeper. I think because if you're sleeping deeper, you're just getting in better recovery. Um, you're probably spending more time in the REM uh, sleep stage, rapid eye movement, and that's when uh, growth hormone and, and all of those other things are happening. So if you could get better quality of sleep over quantity, that's probably best. Awesome. I agree. If you go back to Paul, I see you. Hang on. So if you go back to that study Susie was talking about, so just so Justin, it's not just about the quantity, because are you hitting that alarm? Are you getting up, going to the bathroom and coming back? So now you, you know, say that you've been asleep for eight hours, but you really haven't been asleep at all time. It hasn't been quality, but it's a lot of quantity. Um, so I agree with Ed. Paul, what do you got? So how are you choosing? <laughs> like, is anybody else thinking this? Like, how do you yeah. get to choose whether it's deep or long? You know? Like, I, I will say, I will, this is another example of where Fitbit is like screwing everyone up, you know, yeah. is, you know, there's a lot of value in length of sleep, right? In that light sleep in terms of recovery and things of that nature. And I, I feel like, you know, there's, I mean, if you start Googling it, you can really Google for a while because people are really angry at for this, you know, yeah. that, um, they're extrapolating a little too far with the information they're getting. And, and sometimes it's helpful to people. For a lot of people, though, it's kind of messing them up and they're overthinking the value of that sleep, right? The whoop strap. Do you have a whoop, Susie? No, I don't. Okay, so am I the only one that has a whoop? The whoop does it differently. Um, the whoop will tell you how much sleep that you've gotten overall, but it does give you kind of the, the time frame, right? So um, it will show you that, you know, you slept for eight hours, but, you know, the actual sleep was like six and a half or something like that. And to me, that's somehow better, you know, um, just because I'm not, overthinking that piece but i think you can kind of overthink the sleep thing a little bit you know what i mean like it was sort of what i was saying with the you know don't obsess about it right mm -hmm. amber back to you yeah so karen mentions it's hard to get up at 4 a.m to train on short sleep nights so karen i coach and that's when i work out is i get up at four so i do my training or coaching at 5 a.m so buddy i hear you so just like Paul, what Paul was saying, you want to make sure to guard that time that you're, you're setting aside to go to bed so that you are rested to be able to get up and go train in those early mornings. Goodness, mm -hmm. I hear you. Anybody have anything to add? I would say I've done that in the past where um, even short on sleep, I will work out, especially when I first wake up. Right, because I know I'm going to be tired, but I'm not tired now, so I might as well get a workout in. So I will, I, I will say, you know, that will be a little bit of a deviation from my rule. Like as an example, right around like Christmas and holidays, when when um, Ethan form goes crazy, you know, a lot of the times I will wake up 
a little bit earlier because my brain just kind of gets going. And I know that if I haven't been able to work out all that much, if I don't work out in the early morning, it ain't happening because I'm just going to be wiped out later on. So that would be the, the, the only slight deviation from earlier. So what, yeah, one of the questions was, what is the best tracking tools to help understand quality of sleep? Our, Paul, you use a Whoop, and Susie and Ed, I, I don't know what you guys use. Susie, what do you use to track sleep? Or do I, you, you know, honestly, I don't track my sleep. I did at one time, but I was kind of like, Paul says you can obsess about that. So yeah. I don't track it. So honestly, for me, the best tracking tool is your own, um, your own brain. Right. So I think, you know, um, if the quality of your sleep was good or not more than some device is going to tell you. So if you wake up in the morning and, you know, you feel good, you get on with your day 3 p.m. and you don't need a nap. I mean, I would say you got some quality sleep um, if you are dragging. Um, you know, I think I, I, I think that can be very intuitive. What do you think, Paul? No, I agree 100 percent. Actually. Um, the whoop did change my life. I have to say, like, um, I had a Fitbit and I was, you know, I was excited about the sleep cycle and I didn't find it near as good or helpful as the whoop because whoop gave me HRV as well. Um, kind of an interesting note, right? So, um, my wife at one point there was, there was, you know, kind of the blue light idea, right? Where you turn your, your, um, clock around so there's no light in the room that I mean I would wake up at like 1 a.m right going I don't know is it time for me to wake up right <laughs> so and and I apparently I'm not the only one and because my daughter is the same exact way where we have to have our cell phone just to know like it's okay to go back to sleep right okay. so I'll check my cell phone and go okay it's two o'clock you know 2 a.m cool. I've got four more hours I can sleep, you know? Um, so, so that's a little bit anecdotal, but I, I, I really do agree with you, Susie. I think we've gotten to the point where we're kind of overanalyzing sleep. I do think, you know, I'm a big fan of sleep studies. I think if you're really struggling with sleep, you know, you should, you should take a look at that. The only caveat I would say there is I'm not a huge fan of, of Ambien and, and sleep health aids, more often than not, those do not actually help with recovery. You know, like it, 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 it causes a lot of dysfunction as, as most people know, you know, they, they have a lot of side effects, you know? So I think like anything, whether it's eating, whether it's exercising, exhaust every possible option you can before you start taking a pill. You know, and um, those pills, as we all know from the commercials, come with major side effects. You know, yeah. Yeah. Amber. There's evidence that shows that Ambien and those types of pills that that your sleep is not deep, so it's just giving you light sleep, and and um, that's why there's a lot of like sleepwalking and things like that. It's just because um, it's sleep, but it's not good sleep. So. Yeah. All right, Amber. So. Uh... Two things. Um, is there a normal RHR, like a normal range to, to look for for somebody? And if they've been stuck at a particular RHR, is there 
something specific for someone to look at in order to lower that. So Ed, I know you talked about RHR and recovery. Can you give me your thoughts? Did we lose it? No, I'm here, sorry. It, it was skipping out. Um, so yeah, RHR, if I guess the normal range is between 60 and 90 beats per minute. And a way to improve that is just by um, improving your cardiovascular health. So doing uh, lists or HIT or just uh, some sort of cardiovascular type training, you will improve that. That number will get lower. I know um, I saw a few years ago that like Lance Armstrong's uh, resting heart rate was mid 40s, which is insane. And that kind of is a good indicator that your blood has to pump. It pumps much more efficiently because it doesn't have to pump as often. It's just able to uh, push out more blood um, in one beat than the normal person. So the more cardiovascular health you have, the more cardiovascular training you're doing, that number will um, come down and you will have a, a lower resting heart rate. Mm -hmm. I would say we see a lot of people in the 50s though, you know, no. which no. is, um, which is fine. It's not low. Like, you know, right. it, I mean, it, it's like anything, you know, with the scale, it's like, you know, the scale, you know, body measurements, you know, lower is better. It's like, not necessarily. Right. <laughs> yeah. And is there a genetic component to RHR? Do you know? Uh, I don't know that. I'm not sure. I mean, I know that people that are stroking out have a really low resting heart rate, right? Because their heart's just not functioning properly. Um, but if you're healthy and you're around 60, you probably have a pretty solid resting heart rate. But it's going to be variable for everyone. There is a gender. There's certainly um, around ovulation, RHR goes up 100%. You know? yeah. so we see people, we see women all the time that talk about, you know, my heart rate's up, I'm really concerned. And then like two days later, they're like, time of the month, you know, so, you right. know, keep that in mind. Yeah. Amber? Yeah, so, uh, um, Andrea asked, Paul, you mentioned that you go to bed the same time every night, that you're pretty protective of that 930 time. And Andrea asked, does getting up at the same time every day make a big difference for sleep quality? Or is it just the bedtime time that's the most important? So is it your get up time and bedtime or just bedtime? Well, certainly length. I will tell you that I don't need an alarm. Um, I wake up around 5.15, 5.30 every single morning. Um, the only times that I don't are when the dog licks me in the face, you know, um, there are times, you know, there are times, uh, it, it will happen typically earlier, not, not later. Um, I cannot sleep in, right? Like, like it's just to the point of impossible, you know, um, it's, it, I'm not saying that it's never happened, you know, but it's very rare, you know? So yeah, the, you know, I, I go to bed 9.30, I wake up 5.15, you know, um, does, does length matter? Sure. It matters a lot. <laughs> you know, um, that 7.30 to 8, you know, one of the things that's nice about the Whoop, and, and I'm not necessarily saying go buy out, buy a $500 device. You know, I don't know what a Whoop costs anymore. 
I always thought they were more expensive than, than it was the value was, you know, and I was pretty open about that. That didn't stop people from buying it. But uh, what, what, uh, shoot, I lost tra track of thought there. Um, but what you see is that as you accumulate, this is what I was thinking, as you accumulate sleep, and you get eight hours, eight hours, eight hours, eight hours. It actually tells you how much sleep you need, right? And so if you're getting eight hours, eight hours, eight hours, it'll tell you 7.30, 7.15, right? 6.58. So as you accumulate sleep, you don't actually need as much sleep for recovery as you go, which is kind of interesting because, you know, I didn't know that, right? And knowing that, you know, now all of a sudden does change a little bit, right? It is like, well, I've had six hours, six days of eight hours sleep, and I have one day where I'm at 6:45. I can still go to the gym, not that big of a deal, right? But in the past, I probably would have not gone to the gym, so that was a bit of a changer. Yeah, um, I will say I was when I was doing some research for this discussion. I did see a study that was done. Um, it was either in the Arctic Circle or Antarctica, but it was where there was 24 hours of daylight. And so the people working at this lab were allowed to go to bed or were told to just go to sleep when they felt the need to go to sleep and wake up when they felt the need to wake up. But it's 24 hours of daylight, right? So they're not getting any visual cues from outside. And then they took away all time references, clocks, um, even the times on the computer were taken away. So they didn't have any idea what time it was. So over time, the subjects tended to go to sleep at the same time and wake up at the same time just um, because they were getting enough sleep. So I think if you're constantly, like Paul's saying, getting eight hours of sleep, your body's just going to sleep from 9.30 to 5.15 and your body's going to be fine with that. But then we find, like I find during the week, I try to have the same bedtime and I will get up pretty variably or you know just whenever my kids wake up very early, so it can depend. And then I always take one day on the weekend to sleep in, but I think I wouldn't need that sleep in day if I was more regular during the week, if that makes sense. So one, yeah. one, one note based on what you just said. So I was doing some research because I, I wrote that article on depression um, this week and was really talking about seasonal affective disorder. What I didn't know was that there's seasonal affective disorder for the summer, right? that some people struggle getting enough sleep and struggle with seasonal affective disorder for the summer, right? Because I live in Minnesota, so most people notice it more in the wintertime. But I thought that was interesting as kind of based off of your 24-hour thing. Right, yeah. Cool. Uh, all right, Amber, do you have anything to add or you want to move on? Do well, you have any more questions? That's a great segue into the next one where Katie talks about working midnight shift. So I know we have quite a few people that work third shift or, you know, swing and things have to change. So man, they gotta, they gotta adapt and figure it out. So anyways, Katie's asking about um, having a hard time falling asleep during the day because she's working at night. So some suggestions on things that she can do to help her fall asleep or get better sleep during the day. Ed, what, what can you tell Katie that she, that could help her out? All right. So 
actually my younger sister is a registered nurse and she just started working night shifts. So she works 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So something that really helped her was getting those blackout curtains. Um, and that's kind of just the thing that really helped her out tremendously. Other than that, I'm not too sure because I haven't experienced it. So uh, Paul is raising his hand. So go ahead, take it from here. So I, I, first of all, I'm tempted to jokingly say you're screwed, right? <laughs> because, because I've not seen anyone successfully um, solve this problem, right? Yeah. Uh, what I've seen is degrees of better, right? The, mm-hmm. I think this is, this is something that really should be an important part of everyone's life is not perfect, just degrees of better, right? And so if you, um, you know, have to work at night, that's just your deal. But you then have to go in, well, I'm sacrificing certain things. So I might be sacrificing fat loss. I might be sacrificing an exercise, right? Mm -hmm. And so those are things to keep in mind. Now, I will say that I have worked overnight shifts, and I do know a little bit about this because I experienced it. Same thing, you have to have a consistent schedule, right? And, you know, I, the schedule that I had was that I found that if I had breakfast and then went to sleep, that my sleep was better, you know? Um, This was actually sort of interesting back to my poker days, you know? Um, In my poker days, you know, we stayed up all night, right? Um, And, uh, you know, what would what would often happen is if I could get into a consistent schedule, going to bed at 6 a.m., waking up at 2 p.m., that was better than just going to bed whenever I wanted, right? So some consistency will help that. Amber, any more questions? Um, gosh, there's one last one. Um... Natalie says she's been doing some activity um, and her heart resting heart rate just will not come down. And there's actually a couple other people that are mentioning the same thing. They've been doing the same activity for quite a bit and that resting heart rate just will not budge. And they're looking to get that number down. Like you said, that that less isn't always more. I don't know what Natalie's number is. We don't have your file in front of us, but um, she's looking to... Um, lower her resting heart rate so i will say real real fast um so looking at your thing you're saying you do zumba and crossfit so i think what you need to do uh you know other than maybe there's some genetic factor or something why your rho might be a little bit higher is add in some very some long slow cardio and by long slow cardio i mean your heart rate in kind of that 110 to 140 range this is where you'll get the most sort of cardiovascular benefits. I do, you know, one hour of either rowing or some light jog walking, like what Paul's saying, you know, if you have a three mile loop and you can kind of run, walk it, keep your heart rate lower, but do that, um, you know, maybe once a week or twice a week, if you can do that. And that's going to help um, improve your cardiovascular capability in a way that something that's um, very intense, like HIT or Zumba, across that's going to have your heart rate way up there, but kind of for a shorter amount of time. So that's my recommendation. Um, Paul, did you have something? Yeah. I mean, like 
people hate the these answers because yeah. they're just the truth, right? You want to be you want to know a a good resting heart rate is someone that eats an appropriate amount and runs marathons. They have great resting heart rate. But do you have three hours to devote to running? Right? Mm -hmm. It's like how important is it to you to go from 62 to 48? You're probably fine at 62, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know what Natalie's heart rate is. Um, the other thing too that that Susie uh, didn't mention that is important is um, resting. You know, I, I would say that the good majority of each performers don't know how to flex their rest muscle, right? Mm -hmm. And they try to, I would argue that a lot of people try to earn their food. I'm not saying, I'm not speaking to Natalie specifically, but um, I think as their food goes up, they naturally want to, you know, work out all the time, right? And they feel like almost this obligation to do so. I would say that you're probably harming your muscle building capabilities, things of that nature. You know, I mean, Zumba, cardio, uh, CrossFit, cardio. You probably don't look at them that way, right? So maybe some some weightlifting occasionally without, you know, doing the high intensity thing would be helpful also. But then there's some flat out rest, you know? If you're, you know, only having one rest day a week, let's go to two then let's go to three let's see if we can kind of get i promise you that you know it will not cause you to gain fat we can adjust food that way you know to help you but i i think that people are just trying to burn the candle at both ends too often and that will be a factor as it relates to stress and that will show up in resting heart rate amber was that the last question? That was the last question. So I want to give away a prize. Can I do that? Are we ready? Yes. Yeah. All right. So the prize this week is a purple pillow. Say that three times really fast. <laughs> you say that three times really fast. <laughs> a purple pillow um, for our prize today. What's super cool about this really neat pillow, and I'll put a link in uh, when Paul posts this in the group, what, what the heck this is, because I, I had to do a little research on it. It's a special pillow that um, it's just going to make your sleep like epic. It's going to make it absolutely amazing. And it's purple, so that's pretty cool too. But if you guys, with the pillows that you use, if they get lumpy or you get poked with some feathers or um, you get really sweaty and then your pillow's wet, Ugh. Yeah, so none of that is going to happen with this purple purple <laughs> pillow. I have to say that really slow. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, we have one of those to give away, and the winner is, drum roll. Another, yay, see, Susie's see, see, getting into it. The winner, winner is Lynn. Lynn who has been working consistently on moving her bedtime back a couple hours in order to get some more sleep to help her recovery. Lynn, super proud of you for taking that initiative and working to make yourself better. So high five, there you go. You get a purple <laughs> pillow 
So I'll be reaching out to you, my friend, to get your information. And, and just so everybody knows, Purple is the brand, right? <laughs> it's not just a purple pillow. It's literally purple. <laughs> the other thing um, that I've not really had a discussion with Amber about, who is the prize person here, she's the purple pillow Santa. Um, <laughs> the uh, If you're Canadian, or if you're Australian, we, we, we do sometimes get, uh, some of these companies are not available where you are, so we'll give you, you know, basically, uh, you know, something from Amazon where you're at or, or something of that nature, but we'll, we'll, we'll get you covered. I, I think Lynn is in the U.S., um, just because I kind of know Lynn a little bit, but um, she could be Canadian, you know. Um, you, ne Wait, you never no. know. Lynn just wrote in, she's in Indiana. So perfect. Oh. Yay. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. So Susie, close us out. Well, thank you guys for joining. I know we've had a few people drop off, but you guys who have hung out this whole time, I appreciate it. I hope you learned something. I hope you'll share what you learned or talk to us about it in your journals in the coming week, if there's anything that you're doing or, um, Anything you want to share in the event group, we are more than happy to to answer questions and celebrate successes. And anyway, um, hope you guys have an awesome weekend. If you've got a spring break coming up, have a great time. And we will see you in two weeks. Thank okay, you. Before we shut it down, though, Susie, I wanted to say two things. One, that there is going to be a building blocks group. Um, okay. So look for that because you know putting in an event has is, is, is gotten weird. The other thing is that share this, right? Yeah. These are tips that a lot of people don't know, and this is not something that you know we want to kind of hold down. We want the whole world to be able to appreciate this information because honestly, people struggle with sleep so bad, and so if this can help one person, just one little piece of information, we would really like them to have it even yep. if they're not need for four members. All right. So we'll end on that note. Talk to you guys later. Bye now. Bye guys.